It's really amazing and unthinkable. Christ the Savior is born, the Lord God, eternal almighty, becoming a weak, limited, finite infant, still being God in one person. Luke 2, we read of this great miracle in such plain language. Luke 2, page 1018. May we stand amazed again and may this never get old for us. Luke 2, 1018, page 1018, and we'll read verses 1 through 21. worship God as we read his word. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. He went to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, They made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Our message and focus this morning is on verses 6 and 7. If you look back to Luke 2, 6 and 7, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Thanks be to God for his word. May he bless us by it. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, do we want to look this morning at the meaning of the manger? The meaning of the manger, what that tells us about God. In particular, two things. It tells us about the humility of God and the quietness of God. Those are the two things 
that I want to look at with you this morning, the humility of God, the quietness of God revealed at the manger of our Lord Jesus Christ. The humility of God. The manger, like the cross, has captured the imagination of Christians across the centuries and for good reason. It's so central to how God reveals himself to us. It's found everywhere in Christian symbolism and pageantry, carols, cards, plays, nativity scenes. For the shepherds, it was a sign of who the Savior was. This is how you know that you found him. You'll see a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. It's important. But here's the problem. Like the cross, we've scrubbed the manger clean. We've turned it into a cozy and comfortable place. When you all want to lay in one, a manger. We've elevated it into something beautiful and glamorous. And we've removed the offensiveness from it. And that's false advertising. Because in the Bible, the manger is not a place of elevation, but of humiliation. God is coming down to us. He's not lifting himself up. And that's the whole point of the manger. What it says is so offensive to human pride. Because we want a God who dignifies us and elevates us. And makes us comfortable. Makes us feel noble. That's the kind of religion we want. That's the kind of God we want. A religion that does us proud. Makes us look good. Makes people look up to us. Wow, he's good. Wow, they're good. But when God came down to earth, he stooped very, very, very low. So low people couldn't accept him. It offended them. Did you really expect to meet God in a dirty manger and then later on a despicable cross because the road from the manger goes to the cross. It's all the Via Dolorosa, the road of sorrows our Savior traveled, our God traveled to save us from our sins. Now the manger is found in two places in the New Testament. Jesus referred to it in Luke 13 when he spoke about a farmer who would take his ox and donkey from the manger on the Sabbath and lead it out to drink water. So obviously, this is a barn thing. It's a barnyard thing. It's a place where oxen and donkeys chew and snort and slobber and drool and belch. That's what it is. It's splattered with manure, it stinks. And if that offends you, talk to God about that. And that's where God chose to start his life on earth. Because that's the other place. The word manger is used three times in Luke 2 at the birth of our Savior. First that Mary placed him in a manger and then the angel announced to the shepherds, you'll find him in a manger. And the shepherds running and they do find him 
lying in a manger. Mark's focus, as we've been going through the four portraits of the coming of Jesus, is on Jesus' action and his ministry. John's focus on the profound theology of the word becoming flesh. Matthew's focus on his family connections. Son of Mary, son of David, son of Abraham. Luke's focus on the circumstances on his birth, of his birth, local and political. All the Holy Spirit's work. And here we stand amazed at the incredible humility of God. That God would all come all the way down. And lay in a manger. Lie in a manger for us. He didn't come to a royal palace. He was put in a manger to humble us and meet us where we're at. He didn't come to us in a magnificent temple in the holy city of Jerusalem fit for Israel's kings. But he came to a dirty, drafty barnyard and near or by the little town of Bethlehem fit for unworthy peasants, really unfit for any baby, especially for the baby who's God. And why is he there? He's there as an outcast. There was no place for them. It says, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, we have all kinds of folklore about a nasty innkeeper who slams the door on Joseph's... Now, we don't know about any of that, but we do know this. It was full and nobody made room for them. For a young lady in labor. So they had to move on until they entered a barnyard. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. The road of rejection has already started. Jesus has come to suffer and die. And he proves it at the beginning. And he's the king of kings and lord of lords, this baby. He, he could have chosen any place. And this is the place he chose. He, he wasn't forced into this. Just like he chose the cross. Nobody takes it from me. My life, I lay it down of my own accord. Same with this. One author writes, this is one of the greatest ironies of the incarnation. When the son of God came to earth... The maker of the universe in all its vastness didn't even take a room, didn't even get a room. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. Nobody could have ever expected this is the way God would come the Messiah would come into the world. Certainly. Certainly he's worthy of better than this. But it shows us why he came and how he wants us to worship him. The shepherds and the magi worshiping him. The shepherds for sure when he was at the manger. Maybe by the time the magi came he was in a different kind of bed, we don't know. That was a little later. And yes, now we worship him as the ascended Lord, but as the Lord who 
came and was placed in a manger as his first place of residence in a barnyard. And it reminds us that he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He came to become nothing, to empty himself, to let go of his life for you and for me. A life that began on this earth in a manger and ended at a cross. And he's the Savior. And what love that he'd be willing to go to the lowest place to save us. The lowest place to save us. It's a picture of where he's going to go later, deeper and deeper into humility. He's going to take the deep plunge or a plunge into the deep end of all our sin and misery. What does it teach us, congregation? It teaches us how low we have fallen in our sin, that God must come so far down to rescue us. It's a picture of that. Yeah, he's got to go down to hell yet. But hell has already begun here. The beginning of the experience of living in the curse under the wrath of God for our sin, it begins already here. So I asked this morning, does the manger offend you? And are you willing to go there to meet your Savior, meet your God? For many, for many, we're too good for the manger. We're too good for Jesus. We don't want to humble ourselves to that level. I have too much self-respect for that kind of religion. You're not going to catch me at such a dirty, lowly place. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is you are in a dirty, lowly place because of your sin. Do you accept that? Do you confess that? And do you see how loving your God is that he would come to you all the way down at your level and not say, well, I'm going to live in a gated community Keep my distance because you guys are so bad and you're just going to have to come and find me and I'm hard to get to. No. Are you too good for Jesus? Are you too good for this kind of Savior? Let's humble ourselves and see how far we have fallen in our sin and how far Jesus came to get us. Some think they're too good for Jesus. Others think they're too bad for him. My God or God is out of my reach. My life is such a mess and a disaster and a failure. And God would never accept someone like me. I've given up on ever having a relationship with God. Maybe you're at that spot. I've wasted so much in sin. Do you see how approachable, how accessible, how available the Savior is to you? And as Paul said, this is a trustworthy saying and worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. If you would accept the worst then it works for you. 
He came to the dark places, the low places, the dirty places, the place of outcasts and rejects. That's where he went. So go to him and throw all your unworthiness, all your gossip, all your lust, all the trampling you've done on people, all the injustice, all the sinful anger, all the impatience, all your evil, your hell-deserving evil. Throw that on him. And you may be sure that he'll receive you because he came for such a one as you, no matter how low your life has come. The manger, demonstration of the humility of God. And it's a reminder of our calling that we also humble ourselves to take care of other people like Jesus did. And not to be so lofty that we can't set ourselves aside to help those in need. That's the mind of Christ. Philippians 2 that as he emptied himself and made himself nothing, divested himself of the glory and honor of heaven, he remained God. He didn't divest himself of divinity, but the honor and glory of heaven to lift up the lowly. So says Paul, Philippians 2, let's have that same mind among ourselves that we consider others more important than ourselves. It's a call to live a lowly life for the sake of of the name of Christ to honor our lowly God, to imitate that attribute, the lowliness of God. Let's see also the quietness of God. The quietness of God in Luke 2 and really in all scripture. Along with the humility of God, the self-lowering of God to the lowest place, There's another attribute of God here revealed that we don't often talk about in our theology textbooks, the quietness of God. Again, it's so revealed, so clearly revealed in the manger context. God could have come to earth with a large squadron of heavenly soldiers and made a loud appearance worldwide Publication. But he came almost unnoticed. He came through the decree of Caesar. It looked like Caesar was in control here. When God was quietly, sneakily doing his work through Caesar in a way that Caesar could not have known, nor anybody else. He came in through the decree of a king. He came in through a poor Galilean couple, so poor, we read later in Luke 2, that they offered doves, pigeons, for an offering, a poor man's offering. People from Galilee, from backwoods, Nazareth, people nobody knew. And he went to a tiny village, was born in a barnyard and placed in a manger, unnoticed. To use poor English, he snuck onto our planet. 
You might say we have a sneaky God. I mean, no disrespect. That's what's going on. He's the king of kings, and he could have come with a loud splash. Could have said to Caesar, Caesar who believed himself to be a member of the divine pantheon, a God, step aside, I'm God and you're not. But he used Caesar's throne, he used Caesar's decree to enter the world and plant his kingdom. That's how our God works. He does great things even when nobody's noticing it. He's doing things completely unexpected and unseen. And while Israel is saying, where's God? He's there. He's hiding in the womb of a unknown or little known virgin. He's bouncing through the hill country of Palestine on the way to a hamlet called Bethlehem to enter this world in a place no one ever expected to find the Messiah. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. He slipped in through the back door, you might say. He slipped in to the back door of an emperor's edict, unknown virgin's womb from the Nazareth boonies to a hamlet named Bethlehem, That's how God came to live on earth, by stealth, by stealth. That's how his kingdom came, by stealth, quietly. I think the Lord Jesus saying the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Well, that's impressive, isn't it? Which you put in the ground and it grows and it becomes such a tree that the birds of the air, the nations, that's a picture of the nations, can rest in its branches. Quiet. Or like a bit of leaven that a a woman hid in the middle of a batch of dough and it spread through the dough. Quiet, quiet, powerful, powerful. God is there in the manger, in our flesh, in our nature. Power. The seed of the kingdom of Christ is being planted, and it's going to turn the world upside down in due time. Nobody knows. The almighty creator who holds the world in his hands was lying in a manger Here he is, God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, king of kings and lord of lords. And because nobody knows, the angels come and announce it to unimportant shepherds. Somebody might as well know. At nighttime, in a field. Lord, I... There there could have been a better way to announce your kingdom. This is how God wants to do it. Humility and quietness go together, don't they? So the whole narrative here breathes the air of a stealth mission of God. Big things are happening. It looks like Caesar's on the front stage, right? He's not. 
God is planting the seed of Caesar's demise. And in the end, the downfall of the whole Roman Empire, hidden in a little manger in Bethlehem. Brothers and sisters, here's the point. The world always underestimates God, and so often does the church. Underestimates God. He seems to be doing nothing. When in actual fact, he's working in your life and mine and in this world in ways we cannot see. It seems like evil is prevailing. It seems like Caesar is the boss. It seems like the bad guys are running the place. It's always been that way. Yet God is doing a mighty work. Think of how little the Christian faith was when Christ arrived and how it has spread across the nations now. How many true congregations of Jesus there are around the world. Think of the quiet revolutions in China, in India, Iran, Iraq. How the Lord is turning nations upside down just by people passing a Bible to the next person, by podcasts declaring the gospel. But think of your own life how God has come quietly into your heart, planting the seed of Jesus, giving you the gift of rebirth, regeneration, taking you from being dead, making you alive, giving you faith, growing that faith, and then enable you to show that faith at work and at home and at school and on the bus and the playground to your neighbors. And there it passes on, and then often the Lord then plants the seed of Christ in another person through the hearing of the gospel. And the quietness of God. Elijah, remember, wanted to, God to work as a, as a hurricane in Israel, and he came in a still small voice. And what about your own life? Maybe things are really bad in your life. And it seems like God is not there. How could God be here in this? Tragedy. Sickness. Crises. Pain. Relational upsets and conflicts. And you see, I can't see God anywhere. Don't give up. Believe. Believe in God. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. If he's powerfully at work here when nobody can see it in the manger. Don't underestimate God in your life and how he's powerfully at work in your situation to accomplish great things even when things appear so bad and so broken. That's how he works. It's a call to faith. Believe that the almighty God is present and at work in our world and in your life. And when you say, how can God be in this? He is there in grace and truth 
doing his work of salvation. Believe in him. Give your life to him. Give your family to him. Trust him to be doing something good and gracious. To be sneaking around in your situation in ways you can't see. Planting kingdom seeds and plotting evil's overthrow. See it in Bethlehem. See it in the manger. Behold your God. Believe in him. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we stand amazed at you today. Your powerful humility and your humble power. Your amazing quietness, doing unexpected and powerful things when it appears you're doing nothing at all. And again, we have to say, we have an awesome God. And if you can work on that scene there, you can and do work on this scene here and in our own lives and homes. Oh, give us eyes to see. Give us eyes to see what the servant of Elisha couldn't see. Chariots and horses of fire, the presence of God everywhere. Power of God at work. Encourage us, strengthen us to live, to walk by faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.